grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. A reading from the letter to the Episians. Therefore, after you've gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor because we are parts of each other in the same body. Be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work using their hands and do good so that they will have something to share with anyone who is in need. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. Therefore, imitate God like the dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. A reading from the second scroll of Samuel. It was a famine for three years in a row during David's rule. David asked the Holy One about this. The Holy One said, it is caused by Saul and his household who are guilty of bloodshed because Saul killed the people of Gibeon. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites weren't Israelites, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn a solemn pledge to spare them, but Saul tried to eliminate them in his enthusiasm for the people of Israel and Judah. David said to the Gibeonites, what can I do for you? How can I fix matters so you can benefit from the Holy One's inheritance? The Gibeon said to him, we don't want any silver or gold from Saul or his family, and it isn't our right to have anyone in Israel killed. What do you want? David asked. I'll do it for you. Okay, then, they said to the king, that man who opposed and oppressed us, who planned to destroy us, keeping us from having a place to live anywhere in Israel, hand over seven of his sons to us, and we will hang them before the Holy One, at Gibeon on the Holy One's mountain. 
I will hand them over, the king said. So the king took two sons of Saul's secondary wife, Rizpah, and the five sons of Saul's daughter, Merab. And he handed them over to the Gibeonites. They hanged them on the mountain before the Holy One. The seven of them died at the same time. They were executed in the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Rizpah took funeral clothing and spread it out by herself on a rock. She stayed there from the beginning of the harvest until the rains poured down on the bodies from the sky. And she wouldn't let any birds of prey land on the bodies during the day or let wild animals come at nighttime. When David was told what Rizpah had done, he went and retrieved the bones of Saul and his sons Jonathan from the people who had stolen the bones from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philonites had hanged them on that day. The Philonites killed Saul. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there and collected the bones of the men who had been hanged by the Gibeonites. The bones of Saul and his son Jonathan were then buried in Benjamite territory in the tomb of Saul's father. Once everything that the king had commanded was done, God responded to prayers for the land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Long before a teenage shepherd defeated a giant, long before the greatest prophet in the land anointed David to rule Israel, the people of Jabesh Gilead had a hero in Saul. A warlord had threatened the city, a warlord so cruel that he gouged out an eye from every person he conquered. When the citizens sent for help, Saul made saving the city his first official act as king. If you have both of your eyes, you can begin to understand the loyalty the people of Jabesh Gilead felt towards Saul. Their loyalty held when Saul's popularity plummeted. Their allegiance held when David's forces gained the upper hand and David ascended to the throne. Their debt of gratitude inspired a small band from Jabesh to rescue the bodies of Saul and Jonathan from the Philistine stronghold of Bethshan. That's where Saul's dried bones rested, in Jabesh Gilead, not in the family tomb, not in his ancestral land. And David was okay with that. And in our own way, so are we. The bones of former friendships might still be rattling around in untimely graves, even though those former friends might be still up and walking. A sibling, an uncle, a cousin drifts away, estranged, unforgiven, it would be all right if we never saw them again, which is not exactly the same thing as closure, because 
closure requires nimble fingers to tie up loose ends. Cutting ties, snip, snip, well, that is much easier. And yet famine keeps squeezing life from the land. The famine was supposed to be over. It was supposed to end when David handed over seven of Saul's remaining male kin, two sons and five grandsons, to the Gibeonites. Didn't God say that the famine was Saul's fault? Since he launched a campaign of ethnic cleansing against the people of Gibeon? I mean, that's, that's what David told us. Although it is odd that this attempted genocide isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. You know, it is convenient that uh, letting the Gibeonites exact vengeance also decisively ends any challenge from Saul's heirs to Israel's throne. But still, what's done is done, and those men have paid for their patriarch's crimes. God should be responding to prayer any day now. But the famine keeps squeezing life from the land. No matter. We'll adjust. We'll adapt. We'll talk around the elephant in the room. Famine is normal. Broken relationships are normal. And all things considered, we're fine, really. Rizba is not fine. Thanks be to God. Rizba has not been okay for a long time. When Saul died, she and the other women of his household were exposed. Rizba herself survived sexual assault by one of Saul's top generals for years. She has lived on the fringes with her boys, staying out of David's way. But now, now Rizba has nothing left. Her sons and nephews, disposed of like pawns in a game of chess, their bodies stiffen, soften, swell and sink into the stench of decay because their mothers have been denied permission to give them a dignified funeral? All that remains for Rizpah is her love and her will to bear witness, saying without words, this is not okay. From the spring harvest to the fall rains, Rizba keeps watch over her dead. For six months, six months, she fights off vultures and jackals night and day. Maybe Marab, her companion in grief, joins her from time to time. Maybe other bereft women bring her food or changes of clothing. Maybe Rizpah is all alone 
regardless. She stands in a long line of mothers willing to confront a society that prefers to look the other way or make excuses for their dead children. Rizba stands with Mamie Till Bradley, whose son Emmett fell into the murderous hands of Mississippi bigots in 1965. Many folks advised her to have a closed casket funeral since the white men who killed her beautiful black son had mutilated his body beyond recognition. But Mamie Till Bradley, she insisted that her beloved boy's casket be wide open for the visitation and the entirety of the funeral. She insisted that the world witness the violence done to her child. She insisted that it was time for this country to speak the unspeakable, to see the unfathomable. Rizba stands with the mothers and grandmothers of Argentina who came to the Plaza del Mayo and Buenos Aires to demand the return of their disappeared children. In the 1970s, the Argentine dictatorship abducted and tortured over 30,000 citizens. They became the desaparecidos, the disappeared. Week after week, every Thursday, women arrived in the plaza wearing white headscarves, carrying pictures of their missing loved ones. Even when democracy was restored, these women pushed for accountability. These mothers and grandmothers pushed people during the Cold War to see the atrocities carried out under the banner of combating communism. And they march in the plaza to this day, living reminders that ignoring wounds does not heal them. Rizpa stands with these women and countless others, sustained by the grace of God. Yes, the same grace that gave a teenage boy victory over a giant warrior fills a woman fighting against predators and apathy. The same love that bound Jonathan to David keeps a mother risking her own life for her dead. The same power that is made perfect over and over again in a king's broken heart, as much as in a Messiah's body given for us, that power now illuminates her weakness, making her a beacon to every other person in the land who is tired of pretending that everything's okay. For people who believe that secrets and unspoken words will keep them safe, divine grace breaks the silence. God frees us to tell the truth because Paul is right. We are one body 
We belong to one another. Our destinies are woven together. And for those whose inner furnaces burn up unsustainable resources like bitterness and hatred, divine grace rushes in with a renewing energy. God makes it possible to be angry without sinning, as Paul says, to separate the clarifying gift of anger from the destructive excesses of wrath. Just compare Rizpah's protest to Absalom's revenge against Amnon that we heard a few weeks ago. Whereas the prince simmered in hatred for two years, plotting to assassinate his brother, Rizpah, the mother, takes nonviolent action immediately. She is out in the open with her pain, which makes my heart ache for Absalom's sister, Tamar, whose brother kept her out of sight, who did not challenge the palace's silence about Amnon's crime against her. God's foolish wisdom raises Rizpah to new life against all odds. Reliance on conventional wisdom only leads to death for Amnon and a deadening within Absalom. This grace is enough to sustain Rizpah, and it is enough to save David. The God of grace and grief moves David to action. He knows what he must do to seek closure that he has put off all of these years. To Jabesh Gilead then, to retrieve the bones of Saul and beloved Jonathan, and on to Gibeon, where Rizpah will bless those seven corpses one last time before they rest in peace. And finally, to Zelah in Benjaminite territory, after a lifetime of missteps and misguided pride, David makes things right. And then God responds to prayers for the land. Because the famine was never about unrequited vengeance. Hanging Rizpah's sons and nephews before the Holy One was never an acceptable sacrifice. No, the, the offering that God finds pleasing is the fragrance of love in action. Such is the sweet fragrance of Jesus, Paul writes, who loved us and gave himself for us that we might live into the reconciling reign of God. It is not vengeance, but healing and closure that is the desire and design of our maker. Beloved of God, we have glimpsed only six snapshots of David's life, but six weeks is plenty 
to grasp the truth Christ spoke to Paul. My grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. This journey in the first half of summer that we have been on, well, it's never been about imitating David. Far from it. Instead, we're given the opportunity to recognize parts of David within ourselves. We might ask ourselves about the potential that we're overlooking, the risks that we'd willingly take for love. We might come clean about the lies we tell ourselves and about the famines that will not go away, not if we keep repeating the patterns that only ever helped in the short term. We have an opportunity to recognize parts of David within ourselves which also means that we must be on the lookout for what God is up to, because God is still choosing and changing, still surprising us and sustaining us as much in this time as in David's. And noticing how God is at work in our lives, that prepares us to recognize how the Holy One is making all things new, around us, and as with Rizpah, even making all things new through us. God's love is stronger than any fear, any bitterness, any striving to be okay. And our world needs that love more than ever these bewildering days. So friends, welcome the grace that empowered Rizpah and a line of fiercely loving saints after her. Welcome the grace of Christ that comes alongside us in peace and promise. And for such grace, always, always let us give our gratitude and all glory to God the song of the psalmists, the strength of the lowly, sovereign and shepherd of all. Amen.